0: It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 122. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. And we have a guest host with us today. Mystery guest, will you sign in, please?
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm Kay Savitz of freeprintable.net.
0: Welcome back, Kay. Thank you. Yeah. And only old people will get the reference mystery guests sign in please yeah <laughs> so. anyway what's new with you guys oh you know end of the year yay yeah i think we're all <laughs> we're all pretty glad to see yeah. this year come to an end
2: a capital I mean, t- capital the year yeah instead <laughs> yeah. of not just not just the typical <laughs> end of the year
0: in in years future it'll be the year of which we do not speak um it's it's Bizarre because on one hand, you know, dates are in fact completely arbitrary. There's nothing special about what happens at midnight on, Jan- on December the 31st. But on the other hand, the psychological effect is pretty, pretty impressive. And we've got a, you know, a, a reset of all of our hopes and dreams and hope that 2021 proves us uh, proves us well. So what yeah. we were going to do today was basically talk a little bit about um, what was good about 2020 in the technology realm, and then uh, basically stick our necks out and, and make a few uh, random statements or predictions about 2021. So I'll start off with 2020. Yeah. The thing that surprised me, honestly, that honestly surprised me the most looking back is how well things worked we had this incredible sudden influx of of people doing all kind of what we're doing right now. Zoom meetings, doing video conferencing, online education, all that stuff. And absolutely, there were certainly problems along the way. But my sense is that the internet kind of worked. It kind of did what it was designed to do. Um, a lot of people got up to speed really, really quickly with respect to their technology. A lot of people, like I said, there were certainly problems. one of the one of the the problem areas I think that that became apparent pretty quickly was the um, a variation of what we call the digital divide. There's actually a couple of them. Um, you know, rural folks definitely had problems and folks who, for example, um, weren't in a position to afford the technology, be it a laptop or the, uh, the, you know, the monthly fee to an ISP. There were definitely issues there. But by and large, um, I, I was expecting, you know, looking back, if I were to have predicted the last nine months, I would have said that, you know what, we would see some major, major problems across the board uh, at least once or twice And, uh, you know, yeah, sure. You know, Google had a hiccup a couple of weeks ago. And I think uh, somebody else, you know, zoom had a hiccup a few months ago, but they were hiccups. They weren't like these catastrophic failures that I think, um, the more cynical among us, myself included, probably would have predicted. How'd you guys feel about all that?
2: Yeah, no, definitely. It, uh, we took it for granted. That's how well things worked. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's good that, you know, we had 20 years of basically building up the modern internet, maybe, well, 25, I guess. And uh, a lot have, there were a lot of outages in the last 25 years here and there. But those kinks had been ironed out by 2020, which is when we needed them to be ironed out by.
1: Right, right. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's, there's nothing lucky about the pandemic happening at all. But I, th- I think that that the fact that it happened now The technology is at a point where it could, I mean, if this had happened, I don't know, 15 years ago when some of us were still on dial-up modems, you know, it would have been a very different situation, Right. Mm. you know, how we dealt with that. But with broadband and and tablets and things, um, it just, it, it made it, the infrastructure was there, but I think the infrastructure got here just in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you think about, you know, Zoom, of course, is the big technology winner, I think, for 2020, just um, for any number of different reasons. Not that there aren't alternatives, but they just seem to have walked away away with the the biggest slice of the pie. Um, But they were in place, right? It's not like they had to build up infrastructure uh, to make this happen. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, uh, they're built on Amazon Web Services and basically... And it sounds like they were properly architected to be able to just turn a dial and, um, have, you know, have more resources applied to their, to their systems. Um, but it's not like they were inventing something from scratch in order to cope with the pandemic. They were there, they were ready. Um, and, uh, and it just works. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we rely on it every week for the podcast and we're not alone. The number of podcasts out there, for example, and the number of, of, um, uh, uh, video conferences, the number of, um, you know, video podcasts, I guess you could call them, um, that are happening over something like zoom is, is pretty significant and it was significant before, but now, you know, the fact that all that experience was there, all that technology was there. Um, it just sort of continued to work. It was pretty cool. Yep.
2: I've actually got a bunch of uh, a bunch of like, I guess, tech enthusiast oriented things that I think really define 2020 in a positive way, you know, um, and work from home. Like you mentioned, you know, I think the tech industry was always built to allow people to work from home in some way. And but it wasn't really necessary. You know, people, oh, we could work from home, but it's fun to work together in an office and have a fun office. But it was all built so you could. So then when we needed to this year, it worked. Um, Zoom, you know, made that a lot uh, possible. And, it, you know, that as a company, that was like the big, I guess, big company that kind of uh, broke out. We, we started using Zoom for this podcast in 2018. Right. Um, so, you know, it's been around, but it became a household name and even a verb uh, this year. Um, so that was kind of neat to see that, like you, you said. Other tech stories, um, you know, obviously the vaccine is a a big part of the whole year. And that's a major tech story uh, that, you know, the ability to rapidly develop a vaccine, you know, know, a lot of them based on RNA technology developed over the last few decades, um, you know, was a big deal this year. And it's weird, it came at just the right time as well, you know, years and years of building up this technology so they could develop a vaccine rapidly if they needed to. And then all of a sudden in 2020, just when it's really ready to go, they were able to use it to develop a vaccine. And here we are at the end of 2020 and the vaccine's
0: being distributed. It's um, funny because there are, of course, the folks that are, there's a range of folks, but I'll just focus in on the folks that are reluctant to get the vaccine because they feel it was um, developed too quickly. The the pushback has always been, mm. but previously it's taken like five or nine years for these things to get you know fully tested mm-hmm. and so forth. How do we know that they're safe if they've done it in nine months? And unfortunately, the the irony to me is that these are the same same folks that are more than willing to accept like massive changes in their technology in that same amount of time. You know, their new iPhone does a whole bunch more stuff than it did in just a couple of years ago, or their new their new laptop is way faster, or whatever. That they th- they take without thinking, and they just don't quite map the fact that, yes, we're making lots of technological progress in areas other than the devices you use every day.
2: Right. i like to point out too that, well, if it makes you feel any better, I mean, really the vaccine's been in development for decades. You know, it's just, there was the basic technology behind it, you know, the theories and the science and it was, you know, built up over all this time. And this was just the year where they were able to apply all of that research and all of that new technology to a specific virus, right. You know, but it's not like they, you know, back in March, say they sat and said, well, let's start, you know, with a blank page here, you know, let's come up with some ideas. It was like, Oh, okay. We have all of this research. We have some of the non RNA based vaccines are based on previous vaccines, you know? So there's a lot there that, um, is standing on the shoulders of giants of previous years you know uh so so if it makes you feel better instead of thinking oh a vaccine was developed in nine months think of it as having been developed over the last 50 the science behind it developed over the last 50 years right and it was just that final step to basically say okay let's apply that to this specific uh virus here and and we have something,
0: and I got to say that the the results of the on the viruses or I'm sorry the antiviruses whatever you want to call the it, vaccines yeah um, that is is actually fairly impressive. Uh, I was reading somewhere that someone stated that um, a vaccine would have to have like a 50% efficacy rate in order to be acceptable in mm. order to actually uh, uh, you know m- be able to make a dent in the population and of course we're talking about vaccines right now that are giving us 95 um, there's at least one that claims like 100 uh, percent which is which to me is just phenomenal uh, but the fact that we're getting those kind of numbers out there give me a lot of hope for being able to uh, right um, you know to return to whatever the new normal whatever the post- pandemic normal will turn out to be
2: right well I think the 100 percent what uh, you, might, you might be referring to there is that one of them, or maybe even bo- to both major ones have, pre- have prevented hundred percent of deaths. So while there have been some reported cases of somebody getting the virus, there have been no serious
0: cases right. of it, which the news seems to be that um, if you get the vaccine, um, you might still get COVID, but it won't be nearly as bad. Right. right. Which is a big deal. News and, deal. uh,
2: And that actually brings uh, kind of to my next point, which is about data, you know, like, uh, because even if you get, if you have a a vaccine that's 95% effective and you only have a portion of the population that takes it, the rate of transmission then has to be, you know, has to drop according to that. If 50% of the population has a vaccine, your rate of transmission should drop in half across the board because only, you know, say if 100 people were exposed only 50 of them should get it in the future because half of them theoretically mm-hmm. would have been vaccinated, which makes that rate of transmission value, which has to stay under one, uh, go way under one. And if it's way under one, it may not be the kind of thing where, oh, we're all cured. It's not going to be around anymore, but it makes it so that with every week that goes by fewer and f- fewer people have it, uh, rather than where we are now, which is as every week goes by more and more people have it. Right. Um, which is, you, you know, uh, my other big story of the year i think is the use of data and data became really important suddenly every state and every country was producing charts and data for transmission rates for number of cases number of deaths number of hospital beds number of ventilators uh, all this was being cataloged and published online not just you know accessed by the few but you could i think almost every state in the union maybe every state had publicly available data sites that you could go to. data scientists suddenly became very important, uh, particularly uh, ones like you know Rebecca Jones, the one in Florida that mm-hmm. was fired because uh, government found out that data scientists don't like it when you ask them to lie. <laughs> 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 because data is basically I mean data when you're invested in data, when that's your career, you're basically invested in truth, right? you know, the numbers don't lie. Here are the numbers. And so when you your career is like that, and then somebody says, mm, let's not use that number, let's use another number or something, um, you tend to say no. You're right. <laughs> and uh, so you have great, uh, you know, a lot of uh, stories of data scientists really coming to the front, usually quiet in the background, just giving us bits of data. Now data was very important and very heavily consumed by everybody um, as we watched uh, data from the pandemic you know all over the world
0: um i find it interesting that that more people know what it means to be an epidemiologist now than ever before
2: exactly and i also have, i've heard that uh interest in medical careers and science careers is up yes which is is great and we need that and hopefully also what's going to happen is as soon as the pandemic's under control uh, there'll be plenty of money for scientific research um you know we will find that uh, institutions and and universities and all that are doing research for things like vaccines and, uh, you know, a prevention of a spread of disease will find that suddenly and for a long time to come funding, is not an issue anymore, right? Because obviously the world found out what happens when you skimp on
0: that kind of expense, it costs you way more. The <laughs> other part of that equation that's interesting though, is that this is also a scenario where uh, the public sector actually stepped up a lot for that kind of financing. Um, mm-hmm. We have quibbles about you know where the government may be spending its money, but there were a lot of um, you know NGOs out there uh, throwing money at. Um, these kinds of, of research facilities and solutions. Um, You know, of course, of course, I'm thinking about the Gates foundation as the, as the biggest one, but there were so many other places. And the other thing I I ran across just this morning or the day before um, is that uh, charitable giving in general um, has increased during the pandemic uh, so apparently people are doing a lot more than just over tipping their delivery driver. They're actually realizing that, you know, yep, the, uh, the food bank down the street or the, or like you said, the research and, uh, uh, folks or the blood bank or whomever, they really need our help right now. And that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. I've definitely been all over go, go fund me this year. Um, <laughs> uh, especially with local restaurants and small businesses, um, that have done GoFundMes because they've been basically shut down a, uh, an old concert venue. That's a few blocks from my house. uh, Hasn't been open since March and that, uh, but they've had to pay rent and uh, continue with some operational expenses. And uh, you know, one that was downtown actually shut down forever. A a jazz club that had been around for something like 80 years is gone now. Um, But a, uh, this, A rock and roll venue near me uh, won't go away because uh, people like me that gave just a little bit of money, each of us to a
0: GoFundMe campaign. It's funny, as a little bit of of an odd aside, but still a related story. um, Have either of you heard of Frank the Christmas Gargoyle? No. No. Okay. This is on Facebook. Basically, it's one of those neighborhood things where Um, An individual got shamed for their Christmas um, uh, ornaments uh, Mm -hmm. on the gargoyle that they had on their front porch, and um, they had a great sense of humor about it. Things just escalated. I'll just call it that. Um, If you just search for Frank the Christmas Gargoyle on Facebook, you'll find it pretty quick. He has his own page now. (laughs) Anyway, the story was told. It was very entertaining. Thousands and thousands of people are following this page. And of course, they're all wanting to help the person who's in this position out with like, okay, let's here. Here's something else you can put on your porch or like, you know, can I send you this or can I do that for you? And of course, this person. Um, who's just apparently having a great time with all this, um, is saying, no, 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 don't need to do any of this, don't need to do any of this. And finally, um, I think yesterday, she basically said, okay, I know that everybody wants to help, but I don't need any of this, I really don't. So here's a link uh, to our local food bank. As I look at it right now, they've raised over $47,000 for this food bank because people are being that generous. Um, Hmm. that's the kind of stuff that's happening all over the place. And I'm, I, I just, that's the kind of stuff that I really, really appreciate that really warms my heart. Yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely seeing, seeing a lot of that, hearing a lot of that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, what else? Uh, oh, I do have one non pandemic related tech story that I think warrants, uh, to be listed this year, and that's the uh, Apple M1 processor. Um, you know, by you know, Apple did the switch this year, starting to use their own processor, going away from Intel. And the start of that switch went smoothly. As a matter of fact, people have been praising that M1 processor uh, a lot, being very powerful and exceeding everybody's expectations. And uh, it seems like the path. Uh, This is the future of personal computing is probably going to be along the lines of the ARM processor, uh, probably the system on a chip kind of design that Apple has come up with. Um, Even Microsoft, it seems like Microsoft's ARM efforts have been talked about way more since Apple's... Uh, yeah, yeah, and there and, are and
0: rumblings Ma- that they're going to do their own silicon too. So who knows what the, yeah. what's really going to happen.
2: Well, that could be interesting because, you know, Microsoft finally starts producing their own computers instead of relying on others. So, I, I mean, I think it's a big... Ch- I think it's a shift, probably the biggest shift we've had in a long time in the personal computing market. And we, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, when Apple comes out with their second processor next year, Um, Is it going to be a tiny improvement over this first one or a big improvement? Because we could see a trajectory that could show that, uh, you know, uh, we get faster and faster, more capable computers over the next few years. Uh, that far exceed our expectations. And it's added excitement back, I think, to the personal computer market instead of like, oh, there's a new one out. Oh, it's 10% faster than the one I bought last year. You know, that right. kind of thing. It's got they eight cores have...
0: instead of six, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. And there's people there's, uh, people seem enthused, like the hobbyists seem enthused about it. People trying to emulate all sorts of things using the power of the M1 and trying to uh, you know, do all sorts of interesting things with it, trying things out. Um, I think it's definitely a big story. It's a big win for Apple. And uh, and it, uh, it definitely allows them to differentiate the Mac for the first time in a long time from PCs because they truly will be different hardware from this point on. So not just, you know, it's all about the operating system, but now there'll actually be hardware and software that's different.
0: On I can't remember if I mentioned it on the podcast last time or not. I'm pretty sure I did. But yes, my wife now has... Yep. Um, a MacBook Air with the M1 processor, and um, it's an impressive little device. Um, yep. We're we're very pleased with it. Um, you know, the, the besides just the the, uh, the increased power of the M1, uh, which to be fair is overkill for what she needs, um, the battery life is awesome. That's that's one of the things that it's really bringing to the table for us in our day to day usage. So, so yeah, it's uh, I agree. It's it's definitely a game changer.
2: Now, here's something, this might be a little more controversial. I don't think so, though. I don't think it should be. Um, There's a technology that we've had for years that kind of taken for granted, but the technology of cheap uh, cameras, small cameras that you have on your phone, or can be another device, say worn on a uniform, um, and also the ability to share video very easily has played a big role this year. And uh, I'm talking, of course, about the, you know, uh, the black lives matter movement and the whole general, you know, call for more accountability with police activity and things like that. The technology there is the ability for anybody to record anything Mm -hmm. and for also there being cams on police uniforms and things so that people are held more accountable. And, um, and it's hard to, you know, to ignore video evidence, whether you are a government legislator, you know, uh, voting on a bill, or just somebody deciding whether or not they want to, you know, go out and protest or take a stand on something. Um, you know, this is strangely enough, small cameras and cameras everywhere with technology that, according to George Orwell, was supposed to make us more subservient to government, but in 2020. It seems that it's done the opposite.
0: In George and, Orwell's world, though, um, it wasn't the average citizen that had the camera.
2: Exactly, that was the difference. Yep, it's it's become more of a tool for democracy than against democracy or a tool for fascism because the technology is available to everybody. So, um, so I don't know. It's been a tool for social good. Uh, just trying to, I know, you know, that's definitely been a major. Uh, news story this year, you know, the uh, talk about systemic racism in, in police forces around the world um, and looking for a technology angle, the technologies, really, the camera and, and broadcast yeah, of video. Whenever you video. see
0: a large crowd of people at those kinds of activities, there's at least half a dozen of them that have their phones out recording. Sure,
2: sure, there's that. And then, and then of course, the, the fact that, you know, just about anything that's done you know it it's not just the cameras on the the poles that are recording us mm-hmm. it's also us recording everybody right. else right so yeah so it's things don't happen in the shadows as much as they used to and and that is becoming
0: a force for good i think Kay, what rocked your world in 2020
1: well, i had i had something i was going to say about 7 minutes ago but man you guys run a tight ship and don't let like i get
0: snarky <laughs> <getting> <laughs> We're just used to it. You should show up more. No, I guess to I, letting you in. Yeah, no, you're
1: right. No, you've got your. Mm, you, um, uh, when you were talking about the M1 and the ARM processor, remember that the conversation. Um, <laughs> I I wanted to to interject that in in a sort of related thing. Um, I received recently a Raspberry Pi 400 computer, which mm. is an, also an, an armed an ARM processor based thing. Now this is, I think, the opposite end of the spectrum price-wise, and and in, in many ways from the, the Apple M1, this is as cheap as you could possibly get. So um, this is a computer that costs $70, um, or I got the $100 kit that has a power supply and a memory card and stuff. So we'll, we'll call it $100. And it reminds me of the old-school computers of the that I enjoy from from the '80s, where you have a keyboard that is a computer, right? Mm-hmm. And you plug it in, you plug it in the wall, you plug it in your monitor, and it does stuff. Um, it is a perfectly functional, absolutely usable computer for regular people. Um, you got your word processor, you browse the web. You know, it's got Ethernet built in, Wi-Fi, the whole the whole thing. Um, so uh, you don't have to be a geek to use it. And so I I think that I mean. I don't know. I feel like uh, schools could outfit a lab full of these for bake sale money, right? Um, and and the previous Raspberry Pis were cool, and I have several, and I like them, and I've you know we've talked about them. But they they're kind of for geeks, and it was just kind of like this, this board, you know, that kind of sits there, and you have to get a case and you get a keyboard and whatever. And this this thing kind of does it all. So I I feel like this um, is a machine that is bringing linux to anybody who wants it Mm -hmm. and it's got you know if you want for hackers and things you if you want to try to build something it literally has a port in the back where you can plug stuff into it you know you want to blink leds or i don't know build a a windmill that's powered by a computer (laughs) whatever you want to do um Mm -hmm. anyway so i think it the the apple is cool and and uh an amazing technology but on, on like the low end this this is the same thing, only different, and and I I am a big fan, and I think that it things like it are going to be uh, awesome
0: going forward. How does it connect to the monitor? Is it like just kind of a, a, yeah. a, a Raspberry Pi on a on a uh, HDMI? Yeah, it has two HDMI, HDMI connectors or something. Yeah,
1: two HDMI connectors, two. Yep. Yeah, for what yeah, two no, monitors? If you want, sure. Hmm.
2: I mean, it was like maybe fifteen twenty years ago when there was talk about developing a sub one hundred dollar computer. Um, and you know, there were several companies that kind of attempted it and came mm-hmm. close and all mm-hmm. that. And, you know, but just given enough time, you know, these, I have a Raspberry Pi from a few years ago that d- it didn't have the keyboard, but it it did come in a little box. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just like a board sitting out there, but, you know, you'd plug a USB keyboard into it. So, you know, and that thing cost $70, you know, and I got a $10 USB keyboard and plugged it in and then plugged it into a HDMI TV. And it was like, oh, it, there's. A browser you know and i could go to websites and go to you know google docs and there's a word processor and and all of that and um yeah super cool stuff i uh i wish uh i wish more people would try that stuff out sometimes um and uh you know maybe instead of like you know uh I mean, sure. If you're a professional, you have a need for a thousand dollar laptop or whatever. You know, fine. Sure, but if
1: you're just like like someone you're, at home and want to experiment yeah. or just play, I, I think it 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 has the potential to make computers fun again. Um, and I've there are complaints. People like, oh, you know, kids today aren't learning to program, and people mm. use computers for for today for consuming and not for creating. And and I think this can this is changing that. I mean, anybody can, you can sit down with it, play with it. You do make a program, you know, make a thing. And if,
0: frankly, if you get too rambunctious and you break it, I mean, you know, $70. Okay. <laughs> I'm not convinced that kids aren't learning to program. I know that it's one of those things that keeps coming across the the radar of, um, you know, the kids that I'm familiar with, i.e. related to or friends with or whatever, um, you know, many of them have an opportunity and are, in fact, thriving on what they're now calling just coding. And it's Mm -hmm. essentially the same thing. They're learning the mindset for doing this kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, definitely app, you know, app development. Um, Yeah, I see, you know, there's a lot of kids involved with that, Mm trying, you know, doing that. Uh, Also, like server type environments, you know, creating web apps or server-based things. Um, And even stuff that's not, coding, but it is, you know, people kids learning Photoshop, for instance, mm-hmm. kids learning video editing software. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe coding's not their thing. Maybe they're a filmmaker, you know, in the in the works. And being 10 years old and learning how to use video editing tools on a computer, you know, puts them way ahead of, you know, when we were growing up. And if we wanted to be a filmmaker, we, we would just have to be patient, and wait till we were old enough to have access to that kind of thing. Right. Um, and now they can, you know, take their iPhone or iPad or uh, you know a tablet or whatever out, film some stuff, load the load it into their computer, uh, and then they don't know, even use, need
0: the computer. I've noticed they don't even need the, the computer. But there's there some know, you pretty can use cool a, video editing software yeah. packages specifically for your iPhone and your iPad, and, and learn
2: about. Pers- you know, uh, different filmmaking techniques and things like that. And what makes good videos. I even think, you know, the kids using, uh, taking photos and posting them to Instagram or Snapchat, or even videos of posting them to TikTok with the feedback they get, you know, which is often looked at in a negative light. You know, you, you post something, people give you a thumbs up, thumbs down. But I think that instant feedback, and then without the kids even thinking about it, they start learning techniques. They don't even know what the names are. They just know that when I take a photo this way, right? you know, when I when I take a photo yeah. with good light, I get more likes than when I take one <laughs> with bad light, but they don't, they're not thinking about it. They're just thinking, you know, it's just becoming a natural thing to them to take better photos. Whereas at our age, we'd have to like take, you know, load a camera up with film, take some pictures, maybe have somebody teach us how to use light and all that. So I don't know. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of opportunities for, computers to feed creative, uh, things. And, I and certainly to... I was going to say just, you know, things like the Raspberry Pi, uh, you know, the newer ones, the great thing about them is making it more accessible, um, to, you know, people at different price levels.
0: Yeah. Now I think I need to run out and get one.
2: Yeah. I've been thinking yeah. about getting one of those too cause they look so cool <laughs> with the, ke- I think putting the keyboard as part of the computer, uh, was a good move.
0: Yeah, the um, HDMI cable is the, you know, just it actually reminds me of something that I ran into in one of my um, um, radio classes back when we actually had in-person radio classes years ago, like, it you know, 12 months ago. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, somebody was, they were running some kind of a, um, uh, uh, I think it was an APRS tracker of some sort. But basically what it boiled down to is he had Windows 10 on a stick and the stick was an HDMI um, plug into the back of a TV. So you plug it in, you turn it on, and you're running Windows 10. Um, I just thought that that was also, again, it's not going to be the same price point, and it's not going to be the same kind of, of um, um, you know, people you know, tweaking it or, or playing with, with writing software or controllers and so forth with it. But for people that need Windows 10 without um, a lot of investment, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting little device. So, oh, 2021 2021. Yes. So my take my my it's probably not really that bold a prediction, but I'm going to I'm going to stick with it. And that is that uh, work from home, which is one of the things we actually didn't talk about with respect to 2020, but that I think was a huge, huge eye opening shift for a lot of people and a lot of companies. Uh, companies that were reluctant to do it in the past were forced into doing it. And they discovered that, you know, it kind of sort of works. It's better than not having employees at all. Um, And a lot of employees are finding that, you know, yep, it is kind of a cool thing. I want to do more of it, or I want to structure things differently, or I want to, you know, I want to be, I want to have this as an option. And maybe it becomes, you know, one of those benefits for the jobs of the future. Anyway, bottom line is, I think that work from home, which so far has been a revolution, is now going to continue to evolve. I don't think we're going to be working as home as much as we are right now, because I do think that a lot of people truly benefit from being on-site and in-person for a variety of reasons, ranging from the jobs that they're doing to the personalities that they happen to have. But I also think that uh, companies in general are going to be taking a very serious look at okay, now that the dust is settled, this tool we weren't really sure about turns out to have a lot of value. How can we now best apply that to our workforce? And I think that that's the thing that that 2021 is going to see us do. I think we're going to see a lot of evolution with respect to work from home. We're not going to go back to the way things were. We're not going to stay where they are. We're going to be at some place that is arguably better than either of those was.
2: I hope so too. Um, I, I predict 2021 is going to be interesting because I think after the vaccines distributed to a majority of the world, um, which will happen somewhere in the middle of the year, um, and, uh, things kind of, well, they'll never get back to norm, normal is, I mean, normal is old, right? There'll be a new normal. And I predict there's going to be a huge economic boom at the end of 2021 because, you know, in 2020, the economy didn't collapse, right? Tons of unemployment, tons of people lost their jobs. Things changed. Companies went under, restaurants went under, all sorts of stuff. But the economy didn't collapse. And I think the reason for that is, is because economies like when there's a lot going on. You know, it's, when stagnation is bad for an economy, but when things are happening and money's moving around and things, you know, things are changing, that's generally good. So even though so many bad things were happening in 2020, the economy kind of stayed okay. I think in 2021, we're going to see the flip side of that where things will be getting better, but change will still be happening, which is going to throw us into a big boom at the end of the year. Um, You're going to see lots of money floating around uh, to invest in new companies, uh, you'll see lots of people wanting to open up new restaurants. It's going to be cheap to get restaurant space. It's going to be easy to find employees. Uh, you're going to find lots of things, maybe technologies that have been developed over the last year or so that has kind of been on hold or slowed down that suddenly comes to fruition. And are also going to see a lot of people that didn't spend money. It, you know, a lot of people lost jobs, and a lot of people um, had money problems in 2020. But a lot of people didn't. And those people that didn't didn't have anything to spend the money on you couldn't travel you couldn't take your lavish vacations you couldn't go out to restaurants every day you know it basically 2020 was a big saving year for a lot of people in 2021 when things go back to where we go outside and gather in large groups again uh i think people are going to be a lot more interested in spending some of their money and I think it's going to be really interesting what happens. I don't know how long it'll last. Uh, it won't last forever, but I think we're going to see um, some really cool things happening at the end of 2021, you know, probably starting towards the end of the summer into the fall. Um, it'll just be, I think, a very exciting time.
1: Okay. Do you want to make any yeah. uh, predictions? No, I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you guys. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. My, my worry uh, is something I, I read earlier. I mean, we've only been handing out the, the uh, vaccine for a couple of weeks now, yeah. but I, I read that it's been about a million vaccinations uh, a week so far. Yeah. And if we're going to be have 80% of the people have it by, say, the end of June, we yeah. need to be vaccinating three and a half million people a day.
2: Yeah, I know. They need definitely need to pick up the rate. I don't know. I am I want to know what's happening with the vaccines because if so many vaccines were delivered, but only so many have been given out, well, well, is it just there's a huge backlog of vaccines sitting in freezers that, you know, and they just can't bring people in fast enough? I, I don't yeah. know. Hopefully what's,
0: what's the critical path. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Hopefully there's they're figuring out now maybe, you know, how to open it up. And also, you know, right now that's a very restricted population. That is getting it. You know, you have to qualify as you know, medical professional, and you know, or nursing homes and things like that. But later groups will be more wide open. Like for instance, I think the first big group will be the seventy-five and older. You know, when it when it's suddenly there's no qualifications other than being seventy-five years old, Mm -hmm. and so that just opens it up to like normal people can just, I guess, go to CVS or Walgreens or whatever and get it. And whereas right now you you have to be I, I gather that it's you being contacted and being told it's your turn instead of you contacting someone and saying, I want it. So I hopefully that, things will speed up. We need to get to a million a day right, and not
0: a million a week. I yeah. And it's interesting because it's funny when you think about this, this whole concept of the supply chain behind vaccine distribution and delivery is actually pretty amazing. And some parts of it are incredibly mundane and yet incredibly critical, like there's a shortage of glass vials, which is not something you necessarily think of as being a choke point for um, uh, for this kind of effort. But in fact, uh, you know, at some point along the line, somebody identified that as being one of the potential. Uh, now, hopefully they identified that soon enough so that by the time the vaccines became available, there was enough of them. But like six months ago, five months ago, they were saying that, you know, this is the kind of thing that could cause us problems in the future. Um, I'm also very happy to to hear that the Moderna uh, uh, vaccine doesn't require the same kind of refrigeration or, excuse me, freezing uh, that the uh, the Pfizer does. Yeah, and neither
2: does the AstraZeneca, which is about to be uh, oh, approved that the th- too. A third that's one that's getting less, approved?
0: Yep, yep. Yeah, so. Um, yeah, know. and I know that our, our sometimes Co-host now guest Randy, uh, posted on his blog that, you know, being a first responder, he was able to get um, uh, vaccinated in his for his county uh, yesterday or the day before. And I think that um, that's a great example of, okay, that would not have happened had it just been the Pfizer vaccine, no matter how many there were just because of the refrigeration requirements. It was the the uh, the more the easily the easier to uh, maneuver around, a moderna vaccine that they were able to actually get. Mm-hmm.
2: Indeed, and it'll be interesting to see too. Like I know, um, you know, the United States is tough. It's like three hundred thirty million people. Right. Um, but I'm I'm looking as like the early adapter of this is the UK because it's a smaller population mm-hmm. in a smaller area with a national health service that's been around for generations. Mm-hmm. So they've got the infrastructure, they've got an easier way to distribute, and a smaller population to distribute to. So I think long before we even see the light at the end of the tunnel here in the United States, we'll have the UK reach the numbers they should need for herd immunity. That might be the first country in the world to actually get to those numbers, just because they're in a really good position for this. Which actually,
0: Um, I think, uh, opens up a really interesting question, is... uh, when can I go visit my relatives in Holland again? Yes, yes, or, I or, know. you know, when will I be able to just drive up to Canada again? Well, we're going to have, we're
2: definitely going to have, um, you know, those kind of cards. Uh, you know, we've seen them already with the people we've known that have gotten these, the cards that show you your vaccination record. You actually, I mean, you get those. When you get a flu vaccine, they give you some paperwork and we toss it into the trash, right? right. Um, yeah. But I know when you've gotten other things like a vaccine, uh, when I went Uh, A long time ago to Russia, I had to get a vaccination then. Uh, I don't think you need it today. but uh, And I got a card that I had to keep around as part of my travel documentation. Hmm. I'm pretty sure other vaccinations for travel require that now. So it's the same thing here. We're definitely going to be. Uh, carrying around more paperwork than just our passport. Some kind of identification. While. Yep. I just know to that show you got it. Yeah.
0: for the, um, uh, the animal rescue stuff that we do, we're required to have a tetanus booster every 10 years. And yes, you know, you need to have paperwork for that. So I suspect that this is something that um, uh, people will start to get used to the downside. I mean, the cynic in me starts to wonder, okay, who's going to start falsifying their coronavirus? Yeah. Um, um, you know, uh, paperwork but that's a different problem for another day. I think that um uh, that yes, it would not surprise me in the least if there were official documentation of your vaccination required to be able to uh, travel to certain countries there
2: one country i think it was it's Spain that when they when it's your turn to get the vaccine, if you refuse to get it, you're put on a registry, which I thought was really interesting um also, I did see that uh, in, ahead of the vaccine being distributed, I believe the United States had vaccination kits, which were just everything we needed for a vaccination minus the actual vaccination itself. Oh. And those kits included the card that I've now seen people actually get filled out. So the, there is some standardization, You know, it's just gonna be a random card, oh, yours from Washington state looks different than mine from Colorado or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should be one that's kind of a, a uniform thing. Um I don't think I don't think people falsify I mean it's a weird thing to falsify I mean I suppose if you really wanted to falsify it but you know you get to you get to the point where 70 80% of the population's had it and you know if somebody wants to lie about it and do all that I mean the damage would be minimal, you know, with one,
0: that point. One hopefully. would hope it really, I yeah. mean, obviously the, 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 motivation for falsifying it would be twofold. One is you have to be a, a, a vaccine denier, yeah. uh, you know, someone who doesn't believe that the vaccine is what um, we all believe it to be. And then you also then have to want to travel somewhere that requires you to be vaccinated. Um, so if those two things come together, you could falsify your paperwork and get across the border. Um, it, the, the ramification, the pragmatic ramification thereof, I'm not sure of, it really depends on the state of the country you're entering. How how, how close to herd immunity are they? Yeah. And hopefully, I suspect, I hope that a lot of countries aren't going to start relaxing their entrance requirements until they've gotten close to uh, yeah. something that they can feel is, is comfortable to allow those occasional uh, miscreants across their borders.
2: Yep, indeed. So 2021, it's, uh, well, it'll be interesting. I do do not think 2021 is going to be boring.
1: (laughs) No. I would like it to be less boring than 2020, please.
0: uh, Or uh, more boring. uh, uh, (laughs) Uh, Yeah. yeah, Boring in a different way would be just fine. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. I want there to be more good news. There's certain kinds
0: of excitement uh, we could live with this year. Yeah.
2: I mean, in a way, it's weird saying that, oh, 2021, hopefully I'll get vaccinated so I don't die of this deadly pandemic, uh, saying that's good news. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if he told me that, you know, in 2015, that that's what I'd be looking forward to on New Year's Eve 2021 was getting a vaccination for basically what's a worldwide plague, um, I would be like, oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, but that's where we're at. So.
0: Yep. All right. Well, before we wrap up, let's go ahead and point at a couple of our own websites to pay the bills. Yeah, Um, sure. I want to, uh, an article that I published this week is always an interesting one. What's the best long-term storage media? It's askleo.com slash 5787. Um, There's no shortage of opinions on what the specific media is, but I actually outlined the the approach that I take, which uh, is more than just picking a specific media. It's uh, what do you do and how often do you do it? Gary,
2: well, for me, I've got instead of a video uh, a milestone I reached this week. Um, actually, on Sunday night, um, Sunday night, the MacMost YouTube channel passed 100,000 subscribers.
0: Yay! Wow. Congratulations!
2: This, this is kind of seen as a a you know a big thing for YouTubers.
0: You can get um, one of those big plaques now, right?
2: Yes, apparently within the next three weeks, I will. get receive a notification uh that they've reviewed my channel and uh now that i've hit a hundred thousand and i'm eligible to receive a plaque if i am going to provide uh, an address to them to send it to so yeah i plan on doing that of definitely <laughs> um and yeah it's a big deal i mean it's basically it's one of those things some people divide up uh you know youtube creators as you know if you're above hundred thousand or below hundred thousand you know which one are you yes. um and uh and it's it's great to have gotten there um and i didn't expect to get there till some time in 2021 but um you know kind of things accelerated in terms of uh, subscriptions and traffic to my youtube channel over this year or so
0: and to set any potential to... youtubers expectations how long have you had the channel
2: well okay i you know, my channel's <laughs> unusual cuz i started in 2007
0: so it's 13 years old,
2: 13 years, but I did not focus on growing the YouTube channel until 2019.
0: So, okay. it was so you've been March. working at it, working at it, so to speak for a couple of years.
2: Yeah. So March, 2019 is, I know I had 30,000 subscribers at that point and a modest amount of traffic. And I thought, um, oh, I should, work on building this. Um, so that's when I started actually concentrating on it. So I built it from 30,000 to 70,000, uh, you know, to a hundred thousand, 70,000 more uh, in uh, less than two years um, to get there. So, yeah. So, you know, some people do it in like a week, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the big, they, they, they post Slash something <laughs> and it goes viral right away and, you know, whatever. And other people work at it for 10 years and still are even at, you know, 5,000. So it's all over the place. Depends on what your channel's about.
1: That's, yeah, that's Thank really you. Cool. Congratulations. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, free. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, www.printable2021calendars.com seems like the apropos thing to mention today. Timely. Me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, with two clicks, you can download and print a uh, calendar for any month you want, or for the whole year of
0: 2021. Awesome. And, and timely. Hang up in front of your dartboard. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> I need to pick a date. <laughs> oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty then. Well, I think that pretty much can wrap it up for not just this show, but for this year. Thank yep. you guys for being here. I really appreciate you uh, dropping in and doing this every week or most every week. Um, and of course, thank you to our listener,
1: <laughs> Rob. <for laughs> hey, for, <laughs> yeah,
0: for being here every week. Um, and you know, paying some amount of attention to what we have to say. Uh, we enjoy doing this and and we're gonna keep doing it in 2021. Hopefully, we'll be able to do one of those episodes where we're actually all physically in the same room at some point. Oh, Maybe. that would be that would be great. I am really looking forward to being able to do that again. Yes, please. please the subscribe. show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com/slash teh one two two. And of course, you'll find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast, or you can always leave a comment in our show notes page. Until next show, until next year, we will see you here again. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Happy New Year. Bye.